0: oriental motor uk's podcasts are a convenient and accessible resource for anyone involved in specifying and buying motors drives or actuators for industrial applications i'm paul jempson new business analyst at oriental motor uk in each podcast i discuss a wide variety of market sectors served by oriental motor Together with hosts Nicole P.S. Turner and Caroline Hayes, we explore a range of products with considerations for choosing the most appropriate motors for the automation of many applications, including food production and packaging, pharmaceutical products, scientific and laboratory machines, and even automation in the entertainment and travel industries. Some of the examples discussed might really open your eyes.
1: Hello and welcome to this latest Oriental Motor podcast with our special, special guest, Paul Jepson. Hello, Paul. How are you?
0: Hello, Nicole. Hello, Caroline. I'm, I'm very well, thank you. How are you both?
1: We're good, we're good. Yes. Caroline, I haven't seen you for a little while, but obviously it's nice to be co hosting this podcast with you again. I've missed you much, Lee. I'm and right. um I've missed you
2: too.
1: <laughs> you do you do have rather a glorious backdrop there sort of in some kind of orangery in Sicily or somewhere is that where you actually are right I, now or are you? It Well it's
2: it's in Morocco. And oh Morocco okay. And I was there but I'm not
1: there now. Okay. <laughs> Paul and I have rather more modest backdrops obviously those that are listening won't see our backdrops but you know, be assured they're, they're all full of variety. Um, I was reading the notes for today's podcast and we're going to be talking about industry 4.0 today. That's the smart factory or the automated factory, isn't it? I mean, even I've heard of it and I've talked about it for many, for many years with clients that we look after at Chatty. So it must be well established by now, I think. And I think everyone will know what it is. So why are we focusing on it today, Paul? Could you tell us?
0: Well, you're absolutely right. Everybody has heard about Industry 4.0 at this point and maybe some people are even a bit bored about hearing about it. Um, There's there's a lot of information available. Um, It's been a big talking point in various forums for a while. Um, I know before COVID kicked in, I saw quite a lot of information about it at industry shows on company stands, and uh, there were several talks on the subjects by key guest speakers. Um, I've seen articles on websites, I've seen articles in magazines, it's come up in conversation with colleagues and with customers. But one of the things I I really noticed about a lot of the information I do see out there is that it discusses the idea of Industry 4.0 at a very high level. Um, It talks about what the big changes and effects will be in automation. And um, it it talks about the long-term implications for manufacturing and for the workforce, um, how businesses may change. But what I haven't seen is a lot of focus on what these changes will actually look like on the ground floor. Um, And as a result, I think quite a lot of people are actually a bit mystified about what it will really mean for them in their day-to-day work lives. So, um, I mean, I'll give you an example of when I started thinking about this. Uh, In in one of the last trade shows I attended before the first lockdown kicked in, there was a guest speaker there talking about Industry 4.0. Um, And at that point, I'd already heard the term a few times, I'd seen it mentioned in a few articles and had a few brief conversations about it. But I hadn't really sat down and thought about it in a lot of detail. It was just something I was aware of. And it was in my kind of peripheral view, if you knew what I mean. Um, And um, I, I kind of got caught up in this talk. And, uh, and, I, and I watched this guest speaker and, and I started getting myself um, a bit excited about it for the first time. The speaker was quite charismatic and they were very good at engaging the audience. And you could see that the people who were listening in the audience were kind of lighting up with the, the idea of the possibilities of what was going to come and what the developments in technology might be. And I, I got a bit caught up in it myself, too. But it wasn't until, quite laughably, I was on the drive home later that day. You know, it's a good two hours for me to get back from Birmingham. Um, and I realized, as I was mulling over the various things I'd seen on stands and stuff, that I had got excited about the possibilities of 4.0, but I didn't really know what I was excited about. Um, you know, the guy had talked about concepts and possibilities, but there was a real distinct lack of front-end detail. There, there was no nitty-gritty, no discussion of what may be in the hands of the people actually working in this new, shiny Industry 4.0 landscape. Um and having had that realisation, it became something I couldn't help but notice. Every time I saw an article, or not every time, but a lot of the time when I saw an article about it, I noticed again it was just this high-level detail talk, sorry, high level talk without that front-end detail. And then, of course, some articles were a bit more in than others, but the majority of the time it was big picture, not detail-focused. Um, so today I thought it would be a really nice thing to dive down into that detail a little bit more And explain why technology that is considered to be part of Industry 4.0 is going to actually be a positive thing for the end user.
2: And that's an interesting take, Paul. You're absolutely right. There's lots of marketing, maybe even made use of Industry 4.0 and everyone's geared up by it all. And we do like a deeper dive on our podcast, don't we, Nicole? So yes, we do. How about um, you, you set the, the scene for us, Paul? What exactly is Industry
0: 4.0? Yeah, that's a really good idea. Okay. Um, so, in short, it is the fourth industrial revolution. So, to give the people listening a little bit more background and context to this, um, the the first Industrial Revolution is the one we all learn about in school that's simply referred to as the Industrial Revolution. Um, This was the transition away from human-powered labour, you know, just muscle and back-breaking, to the use of water power and steam power. Um, Essentially the step away from hand production methods to early machine production methods that took place between approximately 1760 and 1840. Key industries of note during this time were things like mass textile manufacturing, um, mass chemicals production for the first time, um, iron making. Um, and eventually steam engines and things like that, that simply hadn't been possible and before that time period. Um, this then leads on to the Second Industrial Revolution, which is known as the Technological Revolution. And that took place between approximately 1870 and 1914, kind of ending with the start of the First World War, which, let's be honest, was rather disruptive. And. Um, This revolution was largely characterised by a greatly increased ability to move both goods and information and this was done through the use of railways, telegraph networks and what this really meant was that the world became smaller than it had ever been before and technology advanced greatly as a result. Steel production became far easier than before, um, entire countries were electrified, uh, the first electric machine tools came into play, um, including the electric motor, which of course you know, I have to talk about. Um, and in fact, Oriental Motor itself was founded in 1885 in Japan. Um, many technologies that are still used today came into existence in the world for the very first time, including things like telecommunications and cars. So then, of course, you move on to the Third Industrial Revolution, and this is largely known as the Digital Revolution. So this took place in the second half of the 20th century after the end of the Second World War. Um, The Digital Revolution is, as the name indicates, all about the digitization of the world around us. And I'm talking about computers, of course. Early computers were slow behemoths by today's standards, but nevertheless they facilitated data processing in ways that had never been possible before and in an amazingly short amount of time computers became smaller and cheaper They found their way into virtually every industry. They found their way into homes in the the form of home computing. Networking was invented and grew, which eventually led us to the Internet. Um, Of course, I'm skipping over huge levels of detail here, but just essentially that's what it was. Um, And it's almost impossible to state just how much computers changed the world around us in that period of time, especially when we take it so casually and second nature, just having them all around us today. One thing I think is worth really pointing out before we go any further, um, each industrial revolution has built on the technologies and advancements of the previous one. Uh, They're not individual and distinct, but rather they are recognised key periods of development that have pushed us forward during a particular period of time in history um the second industrial revolution built on the advancements of the first and the third built on the advancements of the second it, it's a continuous process and each couldn't take place without the work done in the previous one so this leads us on to the fourth industrial revolution which we're now referring to as industry 4.0 and we are in the early stages of it this term was very first proposed in 2011, and is generally credited to Professor Wolfgang Wahlster. Um, It kind of came to be as part of the work undertaken in the high tech strategy division of the German federal government. Um, The concept was then introduced to the mainstream world in an article published in the US based magazine foreign affairs in 2015. Um, And Within about a year of that, the idea had really spread. Um, And in fact, the uh, theme of the World Economic Forum Annual Meeting in Switzerland in 2016, just a year later, um, was mastering the fourth industrial revolution.
2: Yes, it's interesting when you say all of these advances, they're all building blocks for the next stage. You need machinery, then you speed things up, then you add technology, then you go digital so industry 4.0 is using data and analysis to enhance automation that's been accelerated by machinery is that is that right and how's this uh, achieving the, the smart factory
0: okay yeah um well they they're, they're... As you say, it's the computerization of manufacturing. Um, And there are four key design principles that are considered to be the main factors of Industry 4.0. Now, I have listed these off off the internet, um, but uh, I I don't know these entirely off the top of my head. But here we are. Um, Interconnection is point one. And this is the ability of machines, devices, sensors and people to connect and communicate with each other via the Internet of Things the internet of people so that's interconnection. then you have information transparency point2 um, and this is the transparency afforded by industry 4.0 technology uh, providing operators with comprehensive information to make decisions. Um, interconnectivity allows operators to collect immense amount of data and information from all points in the manufacturing process to identify key areas that can benefit from improvement to increase functionality. Then point three is technical assistance. And this is the technological facility of systems to assist humans in decision making and problem solving Um, and the ability to help humans with difficult or unsafe tasks. And then finally, point four, decentralized decisions, which is the ability of cyber physical systems to make decisions on their own and to perform their tasks as autonomously as possible. Only in the case of exceptions, interference or conflicting goals are tasks delegated to a higher level, i.e. a human operator. Um bearing all of this in mind i really should probably bring this back down a bit at this point um i said i was going to talk about how this would actually affect the person on the factory floor and all i've done so far is talk about the concept i'm guilty of doing what i was complaining about earlier (laughs) oh we'll
1: forgive you paul (laughs) so how can industry 4.0 and i think i keep calling it 4.0 i mustn't do that 4.0 be used (laughs) on the factory floor say using a typical piece of automation equipment
0: paul Um, Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Um, Do you know what would be a perfect example? A conveyor system. (laughs) Um, You've been kind enough to have me talk on the podcast a few times now, and I think conveyors have come up on every single one at some point, um, simply because they're so widely used. Um, They are everywhere and in pretty much every industry in one way or another. So, uh, yeah, that would be a great start. Well, what's a conveyor? Uh, Put simply, it's a machine used to move items from A to B typically in the form of a belt conveyor. Um, the first conveyor systems were built in the 1890s, um, and in the earliest early 20th century, they revolutionised the mining industry. Um, Henry Ford famously installed them in his car factory, so they've been around in some form or another since the middle of the Second Industrial Revolution over a century ago. Um, Once electric motors were added to conveyor systems, which was actually pretty early on, to be honest, um, they stayed largely unchanged for around half a century. Um, There there were improvements in efficiency and design, of course, but ultimately they ran at a fixed speed and and all you could do was start them by turning them on and stop them by turning them off. Um, Then... In the 1960s, uh, something called a variable frequency inverter was invented Um, and these allowed the operating speed of the AC motor to be changed by changing the sinusoidal frequency speed of the electricity powering the motor, a higher frequency being faster and a lower frequency being slower. frequency inverters are still widely used today in this manner and aside from efficiency improvements they really haven't changed all that much um, and while it is true they can they can vary the speed of the motor they are a dumb system that they, you don't get any feedback from the motor as to its operating status they can only drive it and t- tell it what to do essentially they're not an industry 4.0 product no paul you haven't let us down you, you do like the
2: conveyor system don't you <laughs> but <laughs> but surely a conveyor system transporting goods from a to b it doesn't need to be computerized does it? Isn't that overcomplicating a system that as you said it works perfectly well
0: well yeah i mean i absolutely know what you mean you know if, if it's not broke don't fix it and, and all of that um you know they, they've worked well enough for, for a century so why change them um well let's let's take a look at that um A smart system doesn't need to be complex. Um, Smart doesn't, doesn't necessarily equal complicated. It can be simple and easy to use, but still give you that additional functionality. Um, A really good example of this would be from our own product range, the the BLE2 series of uh, brushless DC motors that Oriental motor manufactures. Um, To be honest with you, I I, I recommend these all the time to customers of mine who manufacture conveyor systems. And honestly, I I don't think I've had a single one of those customers go back to a standard AC motor after testing them. Um, So that kind of sets the picture for you a bit there. Um, I'll explain why. First off, let's look at what makes a brushless DC motor different to an AC motor. Um, So so like an AC motor and inverter that I described to you before, uh, the power supply is connected to the control unit rather than the motor itself. So same so far. With an AC motor, this is the inverter. And with a brushless DC motor, this is the driver. But then we start to see our first differences. Um, With the inverter, there's no feedback from the motor to the inverter. So if you're aiming for a particular set speed, say a thousand RPM, you have to dial the inverter to the right frequency to give you a thousand RPM. And then you know that it's going to be approximately there. It's not, it's not an absolutely set thing, but you know, the right sort of frequency to give you approximately a thousand RPM. Then you have to spend some time tuning that inverter to get the frequency exactly right. And This can be particularly painful if you're trying to get two or more motors to run perfectly in sync. So say, for example, you have multiple bottling lines or something, and you need them to be really as close to identical speed as possible, Um, because even just the slightest variation in that frequency can cause them to run at slightly different speeds, and that difference builds up over time. Um, And also, if the load on the conveyor changes by much, you may have to tune it again. Um, so say so you go from one size of bottle to another, you, 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 ne- you may need to, to refine that a little bit. Um, you may even need to tune it periodically throughout the year as the temperature changes with the seasons, because the circuits within the inverter are sensitive to temperature change. The difference with something like the BLE2 series Brushless DC motor is that there's a Hall effect sensor inside the motor casing. And this is a tiny magnetic sensor that registers the speed of the motor as it's rotating it then sends a signal to the driver which uses something called a comparator within the driver to compare the actual speed with what you have set this means that if the user sets a speed of a thousand rpm you get a thousand rpm you get that exact speed there's no tuning Um, there's no need for adjustment with different loads or different operating conditions if you want to sync up the speed of several different conveyor systems it makes it incredibly easy and you can imagine how much time can be saved for an operator Um, If this is the case, going back to my bottling example, if you've got a a bottling plant with 40 lines running in parallel, then you have to adjust and tune the speed for every single one because you go from one size of bottle to another. Um, We're talking a difference of a few seconds to change with the brushless DC motor to maybe a few minutes at a time with the uh, with the AC motor and inverter. So it it would really add up. Um, This kind of thing comes under the interconnection design principle of Industry 4.0. And it's not overly complicated so far. Um, Expanding on this, the driver has got what are called I.O connectors. Um, These are connectors for input and output signals on the driver. Um, You can send the driver instructions on, on what you want the motor to do or you can read information about the motor from the driver. So for example, um, going back to my example of different, uh, different products on the line, um, you, you can, if you want to move the conveyor at different speeds, you can do this with a dial on the drive the front, um, and then simply select the different speeds via the I.O. Um, and um, this can be as easy as wiring buttons on the side of the bottling machine um, or, or whatever we've got the conveyor on marked speed 1, speed 2, speed 3, etc. cetera. Um, Or alternatively, you could also connect the I.O. to another smart system and an integrated factory, something like a PLC or a smart HMI. Um, These are industry computer systems used to control machinery, and they are very, very widely used. Um, I'll go into a little bit more detail about these down the line, I think. so you can see just how the ability to read the speed of the motor already leads to a lot more possible functionality on the factory floor, um, ease of use, different speeds that can be instantly selected, that sort of thing.
1: You've mentioned inputs on the I/O as the I/O, but you said that there were outputs too. What can what can they do?
0: Yeah, that, that's right. Sorry. The, the IO literally stands for input yeah. output. Um, th- thanks for asking. Um, this this is where it begins to get a bit more interesting, actually, because the feedback that you can get from the driver about what's happening with the motor, it can be very, very valuable. Um, so let's start by talking about uh, alarms. Um, put simply, if something goes wrong on a machine, you want to know about it. Um, it's got to hold up your, your factory floor, simple as. Um This can be a number of things. Say, for example, someone simply puts too much weight on the conveyor, causing it to get stuck and stop. Or something a bit more serious. There might have been a power surge that damaged the motor or the driver. Or the opposite, a power drop, so you've suddenly got no nothing powering your motor. Um, or a cable may have been knocked loose on the machine by somebody passing by it with a box. You know, these, these are all real life possibilities um, that do come up in production facilities. Um, In these and a a wide variety of other scenarios, the the driver will stop the the motor and send out an alarm signal. Um, This signal can be connected just to a light or a buzzer on the machine to get the attention of a machine operator. Or if you're using a smarter system such as a PLC or HMI, as mentioned before, it can send the signal to these two. Um, This is, again, something that you cannot usually get with an AC motor and inverter because it's a dumb system. Um, The driver can also send out some very other useful information via the I.O., um, such as a maintenance warning. So, um, due to the nature of the construction in the driver, it knows how much torque the motor is delivering at any given time. That's the amount of force needed to to turn the drive wheel and keep that conveyor moving. Um, So, what if the motor is suddenly having to use more torque than normal? Not enough to cause the machine to stop, but more than it would normally need to do its job. Something might be wrong with the machine. So if we take an example where the conveyor normally needs a maximum of five newton meters of torque to operate, you can set a flag if the torque goes higher than that, say six newton meters or seven newton meters. Um, And again, this can be connected to a light or a buzzer, just a a different one, an orange light instead of a red light for the alarm, or again to your PLC or HMI, so it knows that there's a maintenance flag. Um, And this lets the operator know there's an issue that needs to be looked at. You know, a belt might have come out of alignment and might start rubbing um, or a bearing in a roller might be wearing. Um, Again, with with an inverter driven AC motor, the operator wouldn't know about this until it's gone from being a small maintenance issue to a bigger issue and it's actually gone wrong. But with the um, BLE2 brushless DC motor, um, they are made aware of it before it becomes a big big issue, and preventative maintenance becomes really easy. So again, this is this is helping out the machine user, the machine operator, um, with with a little bit of smart communication. Um, so up to now, we've we've really talked about how the. Um, How this relatively simple Industry 4.0 system makes the setup far easier and makes maintenance easier. Um, It can notify the operator of any major problems that crop up. These would come under the interconnection part of Industry 4.0 and the technical assistance and information transparency areas of Industry 4.0. But really, everything I've just mentioned um, is very simple to implement. It can be set in a few seconds with a simple dial and a couple of buttons on the front of the driver. Um, I mean, I haven't even really touched on what you can do with the software yet. And you've already got a, a huge advantage in the things that you can do compared to a dumb system. So there's,
2: there's software as well, you're saying. that not that, that getting a little bit complicated and expensive for a simple conveyor system?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I totally get what you're saying, and uh, I I certainly hear these questions from from customers. I'm introducing it to as well. Um, but in all honesty, no. Um, the, the price of something like a brushless DC system, the Beerly 2 series, is, is actually very comparable to that of a frequency inverter and AC motor combination. Um, sometimes actually even cheaper. Um, the reason being, AC motors... Um, have a, a, a torque curve where they don't have their peak operating torque right away. So often you have to go with a bigger motor than you really need then, um, you know, when combining it with an inverter um, and you don't need to do that with a brushless DC motor. So, um, so that's, that's a, a bit of an advantage there. Um, talking of which, um, let's look at what the software can actually do for the machine operator. Um, I think some people get nervous when I start talking about software and think it's going to be really complicated. But in reality, the the, the software, it's a parameter setting software. You're not going to have to be programming. Um, you don't have to really learn a, a language to use this thing or anything. Um, it's, it's really quite simple. It's mostly drop down lists and check boxes. So for the most part, All it really does is expand on the functions that I've already said you can set up with the dial and buttons on the driver, Um, plus a few additional functions, of course. Um, Simply connect the driver to your laptop or your desktop computer with a USB cable and you're good to go, actually. Um, I mentioned setting different speeds that can be selected with the I.O. connections. Well, you can set these with the dial on the front of the driver or you can set it with the software. Personally, I prefer doing it with the software just because I find it a little bit quicker. Um, You can also set things like acceleration rates and deceleration rates if you want to, which is something you can't do with a lot of the inverters that are in the market. Um, I also mentioned setting a torque warning flag to highlight for potential maintenance issues um, before they become a problem. You can easily do this in the software too. Um, I mentioned the alarm output from the driver as well. Um, Well, with the software, you can actually see exactly what caused the alarm. Um, Just take the laptop to the machine Um, And connecting with a USB and it will tell you the reason that the driver went into alarm, whether it's a power surge, whether it's over torque, anything of that nature. And this can be a huge help with troubleshooting rather than just simply having to look over the machine and try and find what's physically broken on it or what's got in the way or what's got stuck. the software can also be a really big help for the machine manufacturers as well as the operators. So, say for example, you're a company that manufactures these conveyor systems, and during the commissioning stage, you um, you want to uh, look at how the motor is actually performing on the driver. Where you've you've set it up on your bench, you have fitted it to the machine, and you want to make sure it's doing what you want it to do. Um, you can use something called teaching mode to fine tune the program. Now, just to be clear, that's not the same as tuning an inverter. Uh, I'm, what I mean is if you look, if you actually connect the motor to your conveyor and you thought, yeah, 200 RPM should get me about the speed I want. And then when you're looking at it, you think, oh, I could do with it being a little bit faster than that. You can adjust it in teaching mode and it'll just save it to the driver straight away and you're, you're set up and done. Um, you can also use something in the, um, in the software called an IO monitor. Um, to make sure that all of your connections into the I.O. are correctly in place and the signals are getting through okay. Um, And that takes a load of the uncertainty out of the wiring side of things, which again can be quite time consuming. If you've got a connection not coming through right, it can be uh, a real pain sitting there with your multimeter trying to figure out which signal isn't going through. You can even read off the history of the motor, such as how many hours it's being used. So say for example you sell a customer a conveyor and they come back to you and say oh it's worn out really quickly we've only used it for about a month and it's already having loads of problems you check the motor's age and actually they've been running it for two years well you know they're not really being honest with you <laughs> so.
1: i mean so far it doesn't sound overly complex um i can see that it's all designed to make things easier for the machine manufacturer or machine operator But if you can add this much functionality using one of Oriental Motors' more simple systems, what about something more sophisticated like its AZ series? won't that be too many options and function functions i mean it could be kind of baffling couldn't it? <laughs> if it was, yeah. you know
0: yeah I, I see what you mean and to be honest with you i'm not hugely surprised that you might think that i know that we talked about the az series on on previous podcasts mm. didn't we and um yeah there was there was a lot of functionality compared to the kind of system i've been talking about today um and I have to be honest, yeah, I've, I've had some customers say exactly the same thing to me in the past when I've tried to introduce the product to them. Um, there was one customer in particular, actually, I think stands out. Um, and it was my first face-to-face meeting with them. We'd spoken on the phone a few times and I had a lot of emails back and forth. Um, and they were using robot arms. And uh, in the past, they they'd purchased off-the-shelf robot arms to use on their site, Um, but they found that they were quite expensive for what they were using them for, and they were probably a bit over-specified. So they wanted to explore the possibility of manufacturing their own robot arms at a much lower cost. So I introduced the AZ-series. I explained all of the functionality, all of its capabilities, etc. And he, he listened to it all and was very clearly taking it all in and nodding along the way. And at the end of it all, he basically said, well, thank you very much. It sounds great, but no, thank you. Um, I'll never be able to take the time to learn it all. And um, after, you know, I, I had a bit of a laugh with him about that, but then I said, look, let's, let's actually take a look at it. And I sat him down and I showed him the software and he really was surprised at how easy it was to use. He really thought you know, that it was going to be a lot of programming and and that sort of thing. Um, But in reality, it's actually exactly the same software I've just described to you for the BLE2 series brushless DC motor. It's literally the same software package, just with expanded options. So instead of, say, 16 different lines of program, there are 256 lines of program because it's a more sophisticated motor. And it just allows you to... um, set up a more complex motion profile as you would want with a more sophisticated motor for something like a robot arm. Um, Instead of 10 points on the IO monitor, there are 55 points. Um, And while that might again think, oh, that's 55 things I've got to worry about, that's the wrong way around. It's actually 55 things you don't have to worry about. You can connect into the connectors on the I.O. and you don't have to worry that they're not getting through, that your signals aren't being received. You can see on the I.O. monitor that what should be coming through is coming through. It's connected and working correctly. And uh, I mentioned about having to try and track it down with your multimeter, you know, on, on a 10 point I.O. system. Imagine doing it on a 55 point I.O. system it can take a, a lot of time. Um, and of course, you know, with, with, with a more sophisticated program, uh, sorry, more sophisticated motor, there are more complex functions as well, um, such as industry comms systems you can use, amongst other things. But, you know, we can support the user with those if they want to make use of them in their application. Um I suppose the big takeaway here, though, is that this smart system, this this industry 4.0 system, it isn't making things more complicated for the end user. It's making things easier and more accessible for the end user. It's giving them the ability to manufacture more complex and advanced machinery than they could possibly have done in the past. Um, If you go back just a few years, even just 10 years ago, Sophisticated motors did already exist, um, but they were very expensive and they were very complicated to set up and use. Um, if you wanted to develop a machine which made use of those motor packages, well, it was only really large companies who could afford both the motor packages themselves and the development time of their staff to make use of those motor packages. A small operation, by comparison, really couldn't compete. But now, with products like the BLE2 series or the AZ series, all that additional functionality means that a one-man operation or a small team have the chance to play on the same level as the industry big boys. Comparatively speaking, you know, we're, we're really early on in, in the, the days of Industry 4.0. It's only really been around in the mainstream for about five years The third industrial revolution, by comparison, lasted for 50 years and took computers from room-sized hulks to desktop computers that were several thousand times more powerful. I can only really imagine where Industry 4.0 is going to take us, um, take automation over the coming years. But I've got no doubt that Oriental Motor will continue to be at the forefront of it.
2: Oh, I think we're certain of that, Paul. You've uh, allayed a lot of fears that computerization and adding functionality through software program it sounds daunting but actually can be really simple to implement with the right guidance
0: yeah i think that's right yeah
2: yeah
1: and i think it it was very interesting actually to hear all of the different you know, all of those different industry stages that we've gone through because we all learned it at school. But actually, when you think about it, how fast we're now progressing and also the rewards in terms of production scale up, a true advance in automation. Um, I feel like I've had a, a good, good education lesson today, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's, it's great to come on and talk about wow. it again. it's great to talk to you again
1: but also like you say where are we going to be in 50 years you know at the speed we're going what 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 what, what conversations will we having in 50 years time maybe on this mm. podcast <laughs> 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 on that note I think I'll probably <laughs> say goodbye but thank you for coming on Paul to talk to us about that and thank you to my co-host Caroline Hayes as always so thank you both thank you nice
2: to see great. you again thank Paul.
0: you it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe at Apple or Spotify. For more information on the wide range of compact electrical motors and drive systems, as well as design or specification support for asynchronous, brushless DC, stepper and servo motors, linear motion actuators and fans, all for use in a wide range of specialist markets and industry sectors, visit www.oriental-motor.co.uk.